Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful The man in the red underpants By A.R. Green Chapter 1 The journey begins I'm pretty sure you're not going to like this Probably not one bit It talks about all sorts of things that a lot of us spend a lot of time trying to avoid like death, yes, that's right, death, death, judgment, hellfire and paradise, or is it all pie in the sky? The meaning of life, and of course, the big one, is there really a God, or is it all a delusion? Just the sort of things you'd try your utmost to avoid thinking about. And what has this got to do with the man in the red underpants anyway I'd like you to come with me on a journey it is not a long one but on the way we're going to encounter some very interesting and probably scary things things that you might not want to believe even though they make sense some of you are chickening out already some of you will put this down and not even finish it and some of you will turn your noses up in disgust and that is very very sad because you'll miss out on the most important thing in your life ever there are some of you who will read the whole thing and perhaps even agree with it but never get around to doing anything about it and that is both really sad and really bad well i told you this is going to have stuff you won't like but somewhere, some of you will see it all through. You'll think a little or a lot, and then you'll do something truly amazing with your life. You'll accept the inevitable conclusions of reason, take a deep breath, at least mentally, and decide to make a commitment that will transform you in a wonderful ways, or in wonderful ways. As scary as it seems, once you do that, things will make even more sense. Okay, enough of the hype. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's begin the journey and step aboard our vehicle, reason and common sense. What would you do if a man in a pair of red underpants came knocking on your door saying that he'd come to read the gas meter? Yes, I'm serious. What would you do? Actually, what would you do is not so important here as compared with what process you would use and what faculties you would employ to come to a decision about this man and his claim. Would you believe him without thinking and let him into your house? Just have faith? Or would you think about the situation, ask some questions and apply reason? I'm pretty sure it's the last one. Even if you told him to get lost you weirdo you'd use reason logic and common sense to make sense of the man in red underpants just as we do for most things that happen in our lives now before we go any further i need you to agree with me on one thing if not there isn't much point in going any further we need to agree that the world we live in is real 
and you, you and you, me and everything around us really does exist and is not the product of a computer generated illusory or illusory world or some dream that you happen to be in. Now I know that I can't actually prove that. Now I know that I can't actually prove this and that is really is possible that all we see around us is a dream or an illusion but how does that help us if we think that then we could never make sense of anything and even if we did accept that we'd still use our reason to try to make sense of it and would still inevitably have to accept what we see as being real in some sense so if you are with me on this that the world is real and that we and that what we see smell touch hear and taste is real that our senses send information to our brain and we use our mind to make sense of what is going on then let's use this process to make sense of this life world universe and everything else now there are some things we might call universals because just about everybody as far as we know would agree on them in fact these ideas are so basic they're part of what makes us human and if someone didn't agree to it we'd probably think they were mad for example the statement part of something is less than the whole part of the something part of something is, is less than the whole is a universal idea it's common to all humans that's why we call it common sense it's so obvious it doesn't need explaining agree with me so far okay here is another something doesn't come from nothing something doesn't come from nothing and how about order doesn't spontaneously arise from chaos what is there in the totality of a human experience that would lead us to believe that something comes from nothing or that order just spontaneously arises from chaos well that's right nothing actually what we consistently experience is that where there is order, form, and systems, something has imposed the order, the form, and systems. The more complex and ordered the systems, the more functional the form, the greater the level of intelligence behind it. Again, the more complex and ordered the systems, the more functional the form, the greater the level of intelligence behind it. So here are two truths so here are two truths we can use to make sense of the world the universe and life the world the universe and life universal human experience tells us that when we find things working according to systems laws and patterns something has made those systems laws and patterns that is why an archaeologist can find a piece of pottery in the earth and be sure and certain that some people whom he has never seen made this piece of pottery. In fact, he might be able to tell us a whole range of things about those people, their culture and state of technology uh, from this one piece of pottery. He knows that this was designed not as a product of some random movements of the earth, sun and natural forest fire that somehow came together to produce this piece of baked clay perhaps it's possible this might have happened but it's not likely 
In fact, the more that person can see of this pottery, the more unlikely this possibility seems and the more certain he or she would be of its being designed on purpose if they even had any doubt in the first place. Let's take another example of something most of us have and use on a regular basis, a mobile phone. Your mobile phone is composed of a few basic elements, plastic, glass, silicone for the chip, and some precious metals. Plastic comes from oil, and glass and silicone uh, from sand. So basically, what you're holding in your hand is oil and sand. Now, what if I told you that I was walking along in the desert of Arabia, where there is lots of oil and sand, and picked up a mobile phone, which I found just lying there, a product of billions of years of random events. The wind blew, the wind blew, the sun shone, the rain fell, lightning struck, lightning struck, the oil bubbled, the camel trod, and after millions and millions of years, the mobile phone formed itself. And naturally, I pick up, or I pick it up push the call button and say hi mom is there a chance that this could have randomly formed itself through natural processes is there a chance that this could have randomly formed itself through natural processes However remotely possible, most of us would simply not accept this as a reasonable explanation. Why then would we accept such an explanation for our universe and the life within it? Even if we accept evolution as a process, the idea that life evolved merely as a series of random events is difficult to accept as a reasonable explanation. Even the most basic human cell is much more complicated than a mobile phone. At least, the theory of evolution attempts to offer some explanation of how this might have happened, but the idea that the universe is a product of some random events has no comparable explanation and the laws, systems, and forms that shape the universe are actually much more complex than those that govern biological life. Let's take the example of our Earth and solar system. The Earth rotates on its axis once every 24 hours. Imagine the Earth was spinning really slowly. A day or night is, is say, 30 or 40 years long instead of 24 hours. One part of the Earth's surface would be exposed to sunlight for that time, and the other in darkness. So the Earth's surface would be both superheated and supercooled. Or, if we were fractionally in cosmological, in cosmological terms closer to the Sun, if we were fractionally in cosmological terms closer to the Sun, or further away, it would be too hot or too cold. Or, if the composition of the gases in the atmosphere was not exactly the right blend of oxygen, carbon dioxide, and nitrogen, or if there was no ozone to filter out the harmful effects of the sun's radiation, 
It's difficult to see how life could exist without these optimal conditions. When we look at the Big Bang Theory that explains the origins of the universe, one might fairly ask, since when do explosions form intricate and balanced systems and complex life forms? Yet, that is what some people propose happened with the universe and the Big Bang. One might respond that this is a very simplistic approach, but it just so happens that science too is suggesting that the laws that govern the universe are so fine-tuned that life could not exist without this degree of fine-tuning. This can be observed in what are called the constants of nature, of which there are quite a few, However, let's concentrate on four of the most well-known forces. The strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, the electromagnetic force, and gravity. Two of these, the strong and weak electromagnetic forces, are responsible for the production of carbon, the element upon which all known life is based. The forces cooperate in such a way as to create an equilibrium of energy levels which enables the production of carbon from the fusing of three helium atoms. It is very unlikely it is very unlikely for three helium atoms to collide and create carbon under normal circumstances as the energies would not match up and the three helium atoms would come apart before they had time to fuse into carbon. But if there is a statistically unusual match of the energies, then the process is much faster. The slightest change to either the strong or weak electromagnetic forces would alter the energy levels, resulting in a greater reduced production of carbon and an ultimately uninhabitable universe. Consider also the strength of gravity. After the Big Bang billions of years ago, the matter in the universe was randomly distributed. There were no planes, sorry, there were no planets, galaxies, or stars, just atoms floating around in the dark void of space. As the universe began to expand, gravity, gravity, pulled ever so gently on the atoms, gathering them into clumps that eventually became stars and galaxies. What is important is, the, is that the force of gravity had to be just right. If gravity was a bit weaker, the atoms would have been so widely distributed that they would never have been gathered into galaxies, stars, and planets. If the force of the gravity was a bit stronger, the atoms would have been pulled together into one single mass, and then the Big Bang would have simply become the Big Crunch. The strength of gravity has to be just right for stars to form. So what is just right? Well, imagine your weight was heavier or lighter by one billionth of a gram. That's the sort of fraction of difference we are talking about for the universe to be so different that there would be no galaxies, stars, planets, or life. Makes shedding a few kilos some seems simple makes shedding a few kilos seem simple doesn't it 
It's strange how intelligent, educated humans can't seem to shed a bit of weight in order to live longer, but the, but the universe can seem to organize itself into the optimal conditions for life through coincidence. And that's not all. Let's take a closer look at the universe's rate of expansion after the Big Bang. If the rate of expansion was greater and the early universe expanded faster, the matter in the universe would have become so diffused that gravity could never have gathered it into stars and galaxies. If the rate of expansion was slower, gravity would have overwhelmed the expansion and pulled all the matter back into a black hole. If the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang had been slower by even one part in a hundred thousand million million, the universe would have re-collapsed before it ever reached its present size. In fact, the expansion rate was just right so that stars could exist in the universe. Another example of this fine-tuning is the density of the universe. In order for it to grow in a life-sustaining manner, the universe must have maintained an extremely precise overall density. The precision of density must have been so great that a change of one part in 10, uh, 15 uh, would have resulted uh, in a collapse or big crunch occurring far too early for life to have developed or there would have been an expansion so rapid that no stars, galaxies or life could have formed. The 1015, i.e. 0 0.000015, basically uh, one uh, percentage or percent. Remember our mobile phone in the desert. Isn't it much more reasonable to conclude that the universe and life are a result of willful intelligent design? After all, what are the options? Could it really have just come from nothing? And if that is the case, then why not apply that to everything else in life? Perhaps the man in the red underpants just spontaneously appeared. Could it have created, created itself? Could it have created itself? Well, we just don't attribute to the collection of stars and galaxies that we call the universe the, uh, the ability that we call the universe the ability to design and systemize. Surely that needs intelligence and will. So if common sense and reason point so conclusively towards the existence of intelligent and willful design, what other conclusions can we come to through the use of reason? Well, one conclusion one might certainly reach is that the nature of the source of this intelligence and will must be different in nature from the universe it created. Why is that? Because if it was the same, then all we would have is more of the same, i.e. more creation. And then one might rightly ask, so what created that? Surely something more intelligent and willful. And then, of course, we would ask the same question about that what created it and we'd go on and on forever looking for the intelligence and will behind the intelligence and will and will a creator creating a creator creating a creator or ad infinitum there is good reason there is a good reason why things can't be that way and this is best explained through an example imagine a sniper who has acquired his 
designated target and radius through to HQ to get permission to shoot. HQ, however, tells the sniper to hold on while they seek permission from higher up. So the guy higher up seeks permission from the guy even higher up, and so on and so on. If this keeps on, if this keeps going on, will the sniper ever get to shoot the target? Of course not. He'll keep on waiting while someone is waiting for a person higher up to give the order. There has to be a place or person from where the command is issued, a place where there is no higher up. So our example illustrates why there is irrational flow, uh, flow in the idea that there might be creators creating creators ad infinitum. We can't have creators creating creators forever or else just as the sniper will never shoot, the creation will never get created. But the creation is here. It exists. So we can dismiss the idea of an infinite regression of causes as being an irrational proposition. So what is the alternative? The alternative is a first cause, an uncaused cause. We would conclude that the nature of the intelligent and willful force behind the universe, life and everything must have a different nature from the creation. And as we have seen, there are compelling reasons to do so. So if the creation is needy, the creator should be self-sufficient. And if the creation is temporary, the creator should be eternal. And if the creation is confined by space and time, the creator should be free of space and time. And if the creation is common, the creator should be unique. And it follows reasonably that there could only be one unique, eternal, self-sufficient being unconfined by space and time. For if there were more than one, then these attributes could not apply. How could there be two or three eternal beings, or two beings unconstrained by space or time? This is why it makes much sense to believe in one unique, eternal, and self-sufficient creator. Common sense and reason lead easily, or perhaps even inevitably, to the conclusion that the universe has been created by a transcendent being unlike in essence to anything that we know. This, of course, makes it difficult to understand much more about the Creator through reason, and that's why some people stop right there. But our journey doesn't end here. In fact, in many ways, it only begins. We still have so many questions unanswered, so many issues unresolved. End of chapter 1